I am Alon Ben-Mir, and welcome to another episode of On the Issues. My guest today is Robert Lapiner, professor and former dean of the School of Continuing and Professional Studies at the New York University. You can find his full bio on the page for this episode. Anyway, there was a question, very interesting yesterday, discussion yesterday at, on CNN, um, whether the tweets that Trump is doing is, uh, day in and day out is an official policy. So about going back about six, seven months ago, was a, uh, what's his name, the former press secretary? Oh, uh, yes, uh, Spicer. Spicer said, of course, anything the president say, whether it's tweet or in person, that's the official policy. But now, he made all kinds of tweets and then explained it. Well, he actually didn't mean that. When he like instructed uh, Jeff Session to end this uh, inquiry, no. and he said, well, no, he's only expressing his opinion, as if he was just another I person from the street. <laughs> so, so going back to what we were talking about earlier, what we you know, we are living in a very strange time. And you know, when we grew up, we were, we lived in a different world, one that we could trust. Actually, I mean, I felt that I can trust my my neighbor more so than I trust today. Uh, my family would be much more cohesive and concerning and concerned. And uh, but time is changing. Time is changing, and I I was fascinated by by your. Uh, story uh, mm. when you were growing up, you know, you know, you know. Well, certainly, you know, um, my, I'd say in my, in my young adulthood, yeah. um, uh, I think uh, erosion of trust was actually more prevalent, at least in the United States, yeah. uh, with the, um, following uh, the assassination, the, the string of assassinations and then the, the Vietnam War, yeah. um, and the, the, the failed promises of the civil rights movement in many ways. So I think that there was, a, and then the Nixon-Watergate scandal, there was an erosion in trust, right. uh, which uh, one hoped had been uh, overcome, but I think that the, the seeds were, um, the, the seeds took root. But you know, I was saying, I grew up, uh, I, I grew up in Los Angeles, yes. and I think this is relevant as, a, as context. Um, at the time, before the Civil Rights Act of 1964, um, there were racial covenants, uh, restrictive covenants uh, across neighborhoods in the region. Uh, and it, it happened that I was uh, raised originally in a neighborhood that was uh, an open covenant area. So my normal was having neighbors of all backgrounds and races and religions. There was a large white Russian population. White Russians weren't desirable at one point, Italian, um, Jew, uh, Jewish, uh, some black, uh, Mexican-Americans, uh, quite a few Japanese, but that was my normal. That was that was what I assumed to be normal. Right, right. And um, my uh, my parents were 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 born in the United States. My grand my paternal grandfather was an American citizen at the end of the nineteenth century. But my parents were really first generation, uh, d deeply patriotic. But they believed in doing things. My mother would go door to door to raise money for the March of Dimes or right. one charity or or another. And I was very influenced by elderly relatives who were my surrogate grandparents, um, who were deeply committed to making the world better. And um, uh, they were a bit extreme for their, <laughs> to, uh, to, to some. My mother was very devoted to them, so even though she may not have agreed with their politics, if she got invited to a lecture, she'd go and then she would drag me. 
And I was just intrigued as a child, observing that there were these older people, probably younger than I am now, but they were really kind of old to my my child's eyes, who were talking about the world, who were talking about what was going on in uh, in Europe uh, um, and in in Africa, who talked about uh, countries that were going to be free of colonialism. I had no idea what these words meant. Uh, and who were deeply committed to raising funds. And they were not wealthy people at all. They were you know, shopkeepers, workers, uh, uh, teachers. Um, but they, they committed to a life beyond their needs. And that was my, my, my normal. So um, I remember we moved to a different area with the civil rights, uh, before the Civil Rights Act uh, uh, on housing was put into effect. But it was a different community. It was more affluent. Um, but I, I found that uh, my community's people were involved. They were involved in all sorts of things. And there was uh, even you know, young people can, be, can have strong wills. We had conversations with each other when we disagreed. And there were young Republicans. There were young Democrats. Um, there were, uh, it, was, it, was, it was a different time. And uh, you know, you, one, one extrapolates from that uh, a view of the, of the world uh, and the world of empowerment. And even though we were protesting in the streets, as we, as we were um, in many ways, we, be, we were only prosti- protesting because be, we believed we had a voice and that we could change things. And I think with a bit of maybe youthful arrogance that we were doing things for the betterment of everybody rather than our own self-interest. I think, I think this is a very important point that you are making. That is... A, um, social work, social efforts that were made by whatever means were, were for the, the purposes for the better of the whole community, yeah. for the whole society. Nowadays, this kind of work, uh, it is done against someone. That is, instead of doing it in terms of what is best for everyone, yes. uh, the focus now is, is what we need to do is against somebody else. And I think this is what actually we are witnessing today and specifically in the United States, of course, it's elsewhere in Europe as well, in the Middle East. It is against someone, all this, the, the community efforts, uh, be that in uh, political campaigns, it is geared towards against someone and rather than embracing some of the each other ideas and work out something that is going to benefit the entire community. No, I, I, I agree, and I'd like to get back to that. I'd like to, t- to turn that around just, just a bit, but I, I'm very deeply disturbed by the polarization, and for some reason beyond my comprehension, given the causes that we give to, my, my wife received um, an appeal to support um, an ex- extreme right-wing organization. I thought it was interesting to read the material, but it was so... Um, it, it didn't advocate for a position, it advocated against... Uh, and it uh, and created all sorts of straw men, boogeymen uh, on, on the left, r- rather than discussing what they were for. But I think that part of the problem now, part of the ex- explanation for the Trump election and the right the the right wing movement in Europe, I don't think it's so much that it, it isn't just that um, people feel uh, that they're that they're battling in opposition. I think that a lot of our discourse has been about. Uh, Changing our support or directing resources or attention to uh, to groups who were underrepresented, underserved, discriminated against, uh, em- embracing their with empathy their challenges, but therefore having a focused conversation about them and not about us. So I, I have no hostility to so and so, but what about me? 
Um, and we, we've so focused in identity politics on the, the groups, the communities that we champion that we often forget those who are not part of the discourse and who are suffering in a different way or who just feel uh, passed over, like a flyover zone. Um, and I, 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 but, but that in and of itself, you see, uh, creates resentment against somebody. That is, if you feel that you have been deprived, if you have been shortchanged, then it is not enough to say, let me have my share, let me have my opportunity as well. But you are also developing resentment toward those who have it. And I think this is what we are seeing today. When I say the, the social services, the politics, it is now geared more and more toward against someone, rather than saying, where is my, my position? How am I going to benefit? Because everything that is happening is at my expense. And if it is at my expense, well, then I'm going to do something in order to rectify it. And to rectify it, I have to do something against these people. That's how I, I understand. How I feel I, I think it's happening. Well, you know, I, I think, obviously, in times of um, prosperity, when the pie is growing, when uh, uh, everyone is able to do well, you don't mind other people doing well next to you. But when you have a perception of scarcity and competition, and some seem to be getting support or attention uh, or benefits or that um, I don't get, uh, then that breeds resentment and hostility. And yes. then if you feel that they have that I have more legitimate rights because of uh, my history in the country or uh, my my family's contributions, uh, uh, the, the the importance of what I do or what I did. Uh, and who are they, and who are they to be successful? They're, they're successful because I'm not. Exactly. That's the, that's the problem. Yeah. And, and, you know, um, our, our policymakers, our politicians have really been uh, deaf uh, to hearing the, the grief that um, uh, I think are experienced in, in, in communities and groups that have... Um, when they're reflecting this, that, the same sentiment, Look at Congress today. I mean, it is as obvious as it can get. When was it last time they sat together, Republican and Democrats, and, and agreed on a, on a bill that is going to be good for all That's Americans? Right. This is this is what we are seeing. So it's not just in the social milieu. It's now no. been transferred to, to the political. And if the politicians, those in charge, are not doing anything about it, well, it's going to continue to simmer. It becomes more and more acute. That's why you know when we were talking earlier. What is, what, where it, do we go from here? It, it's, it's exacerbated by the permanent election cycle yeah. because, you know, if, as it's been widely reported, fewer and fewer uh, elected officials at the federal level live in Washington anymore. If you live in Washington with your family, obviously you're farther away from your, your base community, the people that elected you, but you also create comedy with the people who, comedy with the people that you live with and you have to interact with, whom you run into in the, in the gym or in the supermarket or in the restaurants. And uh, the, the, the so-called golden days when people talked from across the aisle and had friendships that were uh, maybe uh, across ideological divides uh, were, I think, at a time when people kind of knew each other on a personal level. They had, they had some understanding, well, I, I disagree with him, but he's a good guy. I can trust him. He's honorable. Or I can't trust him, but at least you know. Um, and so in the, in the permanent electioneering cycle, you promise things to people who are going to re-elect you. And you stop to think about what is maybe good, not just for them, but for more. And what, and how do we compromise? We have a we have a we have a problem. And I think you know our the other dilemma, of course, is that our federal system um, now um, has become discriminatory against uh, uh, 
the more populous states and uh, and cities, urban urban areas, yes, yeah, yeah. Uh, where there's a larger concentration of diversity of all kinds, and where and which are the economic engines for the most part of the country. So you have you have disproportion, and and probably neglect of those those parts of the uh, 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 and certainly neglect of those areas which have, which have fallen behind economically. That's right. You know the other aspect I see is that. Uh, it's been now reduced to personal animosity, that is, going back many, many years, a um, decade or two even, uh, congressmen, be that Republican, Democrat, they could fight on the floor of the Senate, the floor of the House, but they go afterwards and have lunch and they're the best friends. Right. Today, you see more as a personal, they reduce politics into a personal relationship as well, and you see more and more personal animosity between Republicans and Democrats. That is, to me, a very bad sign. It's, a, it's very unhealthy. A terribly bad sign. I mean, I remember, you know, like when you watch the uh, discussion in the British Parliament, yeah. and you can see it as intense as it can get, but never reduced to personality. That is, we're friends. We, yeah. never, we leave the house, we can argue as far as, as much as we want to against one another, prove you wrong, prove me wrong, but we are still friends. The importance of that, in terms of culturally speaking, socially speaking, the importance of that, when you maintain that relationship, the personal relationship, the likelihood is you will also begin to, you would want to also find a common formula yes. to deal with issues that is not related it, it, to it us. And actually, it, it, it enhances our, we have to develop empathy. Empathy is yeah. a really important yeah. uh, moral, psychological, intellectual skill that allows us to comprehend another perspective. And there's usually legitimacy in the other perspective. So uh, it, it moves us toward um, uh, the, the, the need to reconcile whatever we want in a way that is not detrimental uh, to another. And, you know, uh, we, we have the, the, these, these massive tax cuts, which are, which are nice for those who have the resources. Uh, temporarily, people are maybe getting... Uh, for a few years, some uh, middle class, uh, some some relief as well. But we know, looking at the way the, the, uh, these uh, are constructed, that in seven years, now I guess six years, um, the tax benefits for the middle class will disappear. And even if a, a, no, a new administration passes new tax laws to remedy this, the federal deficit is going to be such that there will be there will there there will have to be cuts. To um, entitlement programs, um, otherwise we won't be able to, to function. That's right. um, even if people don't want to cut the entitlement programs in a different administration, and so the the, the failure to kind of to to, th to think in the long term, uh, to be able to speak uh, to to educate the voters, uh, to give people a sense of um, of hope and opportunity, but also context, and then this is maybe silly, but to periodically say, well, we've been looking at this and we figured out we have to tweak it. It isn't working as well as it should. When Roosevelt launched the New Deal, the country was in terrible crisis. With it's right, it's um, and the New Deal, the programs that were launched in the New Deal were meant to be experiments because nobody knew what to do, really. Hoover had failed. Uh, they, and so they, they launched the, you know, these various programs, some of which, like Social Security, we still have. Um, thank goodness. But they, no one assumed that they were going to be going on forever, but of course they, they go on forever. So the, the conservative position against you know, entitlements um, 
if it's just if it's just ideological, is it dangerous? But if it involves, let us look at what we're doing yes, and, and yes, rectify yes. it. Um, yeah. We work. Uh, people are working later. The, the professional classes have the opportunity um, of continuing to work uh, uh, well into their seventies and eighties and nineties uh, and the like. Um, everybody's eligible for Social Security. Uh, yeah, but you see, like you said, but the New Deal, what the New Deal has done, uh, however it lasted or not, it created a foundation. That foundation is very critical. That is, there was a basis on which to build. Yes. That is lacking. This is today when you talk about the tax cut. The benefit, the so-called benefit, it's, a, it's so minuscule compared to, for example, somebody earning, say, fifty, sixty, seventy thousand dollars $70,000 a year, the benefit they receive from the tax cut doesn't amount even to two thousand dollars a year. We're not talking about. Oh, but if you're living hand to mouth, two thousand dollars a year. It's, yeah, uh, it's but meaningful. but for somebody who's earning fifty thousand dollars, I really don't think that makes much of a difference. Moreover, what is to what extent the tax this tax cut is benefiting the very poor, those who are earning less than twelve thousand dollars. Well, that's well, the other issue. We turn we turn our back on our. Well, you know, when you in our, America, our, like we've been writing, we've been talking about it. Still, you have twelve million kids, twelve million kids, who 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 live under the poverty line, who many of them don't have enough to eat to go before they go to sleep, and this is the United States. And then the tax cut. And then is, our homeless population. And what the homeless do we do population. when they, uh, No. We so have. there's something dramatically wrong. Uh, on the other hand. Shall we go the center ways, you know, center Sanders approach to it? Is there a middle, middle way, a happy, mid, happy um, middle approach to, to all of this? And so there is, that is what I'm saying is polarization that you mentioned so correctly. It is also preventing finding a middle path on which all sides can agree. You know, there's a lot of discussion now and I'm, I'm only a, lay, a layman in, this, in, this, in discussing these things, but a lot of discussion about the, uh, the importance of what uh, regions, counties, cities are doing across the country. And I can recall um, really decades ago uh, when uh, NAFTA was first introduced and the EU was expanding, that there were a lot of conversations about the impact of, of the global economy on, region, on regions and how some regions had more in common with each other than they did with their with the other other parts of their own country. Um, so you have, let's say, the San Diego region in, Cal in Southern California, which became a major hub in biotechnology, and they have uh, more of a, a connection to, let's say, the area uh, around uh, Route 128 in Massachusetts, right. another biotech hub, than um, uh, and uh, and with. Places in Scandinavia, which were, uh, and one of my colleagues at the uh, at UC San Diego, Mary uh, Lynn Stein Walshack, has been very involved in not just in conversations, but putting in together these regional alliances. But this is true, and um, uh, the uh, many municipalities have uh, embraced um, higher minimum wages, uh, social service guarantees of different kinds. You have. Whether one agrees with them or not, you have the sanctuary cities, which are yes, yeah. which are trying to uh, at least uh, provide a human face uh, to the immigration crisis. Um, and in our in our system, our our federal system, uh, it it would seem that 
this isn't really entering into the political discourse, but that there are um, successful experiments uh, that could be replicated, it could, could be expanded. I mean, after all, the Affordable Care Act was based on what Mitt Romney introduced in Massachusetts, and when it was being presented, it was being yes, presented. It was, yeah, it was originally yeah. a Republican idea, That's right. but but writ large until, and then Romney repudiated it. So you know, I, I do think that that communities come together, that certain regions have identity identities that are more coherent than than others, and so all is not lost ex except that at the federal level, at least in this. But the country, question is, there enough of that on the community level? That's 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 my 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 concern, and I think you're absolutely right. That exists. I thank heavens for having the uh, many prerogatives that the state can exercise, uh, independent of the federal government. Uh, but then you also have to have governors who are enlightened, who are more open, who look at the at the state in a much more comprehensive, but as a, as a single unit, not Democrats and Republicans. And that too doesn't seem to be working well still today. No, no. But uh, I, I think it's, I mean, uh, 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 Governor Brown in California is, uh, is perceived to have done a remarkable job. Yeah. And it wasn't quite the ideological figure that he was thought but to be. But he's far in but between. He, yeah, but, he, but I, I think uh, he may have been governor before, but his most formative experience was as mayor of Oakland, where he did some good things and he, he addressed real urban issues. You know, um, there are writers who talk about the new urbanism, again, I mean, there's the old urbanism and the new urbanism, but it, it, it's true that, that um, Los Angeles and New York, but places like, like Cleveland, Philadelphia, Milwaukee, um, uh, are, are being changed in very, con in very constructive ways, and they're dealing with uh, um, the disenfranchisement of, uh, of, of, of working-class populations, they're attracting, attempting to attract new business, but they're they're revitalizing, they're they're, they're working to reform uh, their their school systems and the like. Uh, but often the cities are at odds with the state legislature. So, I'm uh, my my assessment is I, I don't I don't see any clear trends anywhere. I see these mini, <laughs> I see these little yeah. examples here and there That's which give hope, but then I see the other examples that, that yeah. make my stomach turn. Um, but there are there are some. Areas of now the question is whether life. this uh, this administration, the Trump administration, is making uh, is helping these type of communities that are more progressive, more uh, willing to collaborate and work together, or making things worse for even smaller community, not to speak of larger cities. What, what, what's your take on that? That is, what is kind of residue we're going to end up once Trump leaves there? The, the presidency. Well, you know the the, the problem is that the that the people who are in charge of uh, of, of the uh, uh, the departments are doing malicious things. So you have Ben Carson, who was yeah. you know uh, uh, wanting to raise rent in public. I mean, the problem is with our with our public housing system, and New York has terrible problems that have been hidden for a long time. Um, uh, but the the policies that are that are being ad, uh, advanced by this administration. Probably without Trump's knowledge or involvement, because he's not a policy guy, I think will have um, uh, mid-term, long-term impacts. Will have to be undone. Um, you know, certainly the the tax laws, which um, uh, adversely affect states that have uh, income taxes, as as New York does, um, 
also work against some of these experiments because most of most of the states most of the states are net contributors to the federal government. They give more in taxes than they get back in terms of support. But states like New York are able to invest more in in a social welfare support environment. Uh, but that becomes compromised if, uh, in this new tax system. So I I, I really don't know. I mean, it's, you know. But you're saying, you know, uh, he may not be directly involved or, you know, the buck stops or there. directives, do this and do that. But he selected the kind of secretaries that are carrying his message entirely on their own. They don't need any more his guidance because they are exactly doing what he would like to see being done, be that the, the Department of Justice Department, be that the, the Secretary of Education, be that Ben Carson, that you mentioned, housing and all of that. The, all of these uh, secretaries are doing precisely what Trump wants them to do. He doesn't have any need anymore, for that matter, to get involved uh, in their work. Well, they, they're yeah, following yeah, pretty much his, his, yeah, his dictates. Yeah, I mean, uh, I, I, I don't know, because I, I, I'm not trying to exonerate the man, because he's terrible. Um, but he had no policy vision. He, he thinks in sound bites. Um, and he brought, in, he brought in people who I think emerged both from his, his environment, but also from the conservative movement. So many of them are doing things following their nose, if you will. I mean, yeah, Sessions, yeah, Sessions has been consistent with yeah. Sessions. He's been yes, consistent with yes. his behavior when he was yeah. uh, attorney general in his own state, uh, uh, doing awful things. Um, the, the president had a tweet, was it two days ago, when, when a, a federal uh, um, judge overruled the uh, dissemination of the blueprints for the, uh, the, the 3D printed uh, guns. Yeah, yeah. And he said he didn't know that, the, he, he was very happy that the court overruled the Justice Department, because he didn't, uh, whatever it was, overrule, overruled the right to, um, uh, to distribute these things. And if he had been, at, he, he, didn't, he didn't authorize the Justice Department's uh, uh, withdrawal from the suit. Um, uh, so, you know, <laughs> was, would the president review all the things that are, that are before him and say, I support this, I don't support this? Uh, so I, my, my sense is he doesn't really know what's going on. No, that's a, that's a, that is a given. That and he's doing given. what many presidents have done, yeah. you know, who are, who, are, who are unpopular for their domestic policies, yeah. uh, trying to create a space uh, in I the mean, international. Yeah, front. I mean, his entire approach is really protecting the so-called base. This base is number one, two, and three in his agenda. Uh, I don't think he gives a hoot about what is the ultimate national interest for that matter. Uh, this is a, as is a narcissist as he can get, you know. I mean, that's that's Trump. My concern is that he leaves the office, but then he's, he's going to leave a perhaps significant impact on on our society in terms of being both politically, socially, economically, for that matter. And that's not going to evaporate once he leaves office. That well, is really my, my concern. And also in our relations with our allies, um, uh, you know, NATO and, and uh, the EU um, in the Middle East. I mean, I've been around there and I, and I talk about these things and, and it's really terrifying what they say. And, and that they are shocked, they are dismayed. 
and they themselves came to the same conclusion that we can no longer continue business as usual. We're going to have to think about ourselves, our needs, our interests. Merkel and May and others stating this very clearly. Uh, they, they have to. I mean, we've, uh, we've, they have to. And, and so, and then, but they are, these are our allies. And our enemies, they may go like, take, if you take Putin, for example, uh, yes, uh, going along, he likes Trump because Trump serves his interest in every which way possible. But does he really trust Trump? Does he really give, the, you know, Putin is for Putin, Trump is yeah, for and, Trump. And, and, you know, yeah. and, and Putin is aware of the, at least the pushback in the, yes, yeah, uh, in yeah. other parts of um, the government uh, right. and the fact that the president's hands are going to be tied uh, to, to some extent. You know, Trump has cheapened, I was a diplomat, um, uh, served under three presidents, I was a minor person in, in cultural and educational affairs. Um, but there was always an assumption that, that the words of the president were judiciously expressed. The pres whoever was president understood that uh, his voice, someday I hope it will be her voice as well, but that his, 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 uh, he was not speaking for himself, he was speaking for the country. Exactly. And yeah. had that capacity to, um, to listen to his policymakers, maybe, you know, change a word here or two to, yeah. to, to, for, for emphasis, uh, and to shape, to shape direction but not to undo what was working or not to rile, um, not, not, to, not, not to create hostility where it wasn't necessary, to be judicious, to speak as the representative of our country. Uh, Trump isn't able to do that. He represents himself. Yeah, and yeah. he represents a voice, a, a voice which we may not like, but it is a voice in, in our society. And, um, uh, you know, he, he thinks, it's like, I'm the CEO of my company. It's my money. People do what I want. I may be the boss, but it's, I have the right to be wrong. That's, you know. Well, he's treating the country yeah. like it was a business. Yeah, and like uh, exactly you know, the the fact that we that as a as a people we 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 have we have got we have cheapened the role of public service and um, uh, our, our politicians don't inspire trust. Uh, I think it's natural that that the that it's in a way that the electorate is looking for somebody who seems to be an outsider and who seems to be successful in another sphere, and maybe that can be transferable. Um, because they're fed up with the lack of progress or the lack of, um, of attention to their particular needs. But the failure to recognize <laughs> that there's training um, in, mm -hmm, yeah. in being a, a public person, uh, yeah, uh, yeah. That, uh, that, that, that serving beyond your own economic self-interest requires a different kind of judicious reflection and an ability to, um, to bring in experts who know more than you do and, uh, and right. on whom you rely for their greater expertise. And not necessarily agree with you. That's right. I mean, you know, the irony, he compares himself to Lincoln once in a while. Yeah. And and uh, if he only read what, uh, or understood what Lincoln has done when he was a president, uh, he deliberately, Lincoln, appointed people who disagreed Absolutely. with him. Absolutely. He disagreed with him. So he needed to convince them, not order them to That's follow right. his dictate, but convince, convince them. them. And so he developed this... Uh, um, a discussion, an argument, why his way versus their way, and many times he was persuaded that things should be done differently, and he went along and made it a policy. And that is the, 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 you know, what leadership is all about, is the leaders who actually listen to the Absolutely. Opposition. When was it last time Trump invited leadership of the Democratic Party and dealt with them on a and get advice and consensus 
he invited uh, what's the Schumer Pelosi, Pelosi Schumer once because once. he wanted to have a um, you know to pass a photo op. <laughs> no to to pass also the yeah. uh, appropriation for the for that yeah. that was the only time and, that, and then he turned on them and, and this is this is really what, what I feel that um, our our the way our this democracy is functioning is no longer the way we envision democracy and says as long as he continue to chip away from our the, the way no democracy is a perfect system you know we, yeah. we, we, we know that but when you begin to dismantle the the main pillars of democracy be that the press uh, specifically the free speech uh, free speech then you are going to end up in one form or another in a, in a, in a situation where it's becoming more and more chaotic uh, trust totally evaporate relationships are you know yeah. adversely affected and we are moving in that direction and they see no one to be able to begin to think otherwise I think in terms of what can be done to stop this horrifying um, uh, you know development I, I agree yeah I agree. I mean, we're facing a generational problem. There is no question that a, a president is a, uh, an example to uh, generations, and uh, Trump has introduced a coarsening of discourse and, and, and a lack of civility, which we've never experienced before. But um, it's mirrored in the way people are, are treating each other or, or, or talking in political campaigns. Um, there's, we know there's simply too much money in, in the political system. Uh, the people, People's United, uh, terribly destructive. The architect for that, I mean, the, the, uh, the Supreme Court ruling was Justice Kennedy, and his uh, protege is now you know, poised to become uh, his successor. So getting excess money out of the political system is not likely to change. We don't teach. There's some movement now to improve education, to, to reintroduce uh, at, at, in, in the schools uh, consistent uh, civic education again, to, to, so our our children learn what how democracy functions and how our our rules rules based system is supposed to work and what maybe what fact based decision evidence based decision making is supposed to be in the political sphere, but it isn't universal. Uh, we don't have a national uh, educational system. Uh, we uh, one child left be behind it didn't work it was kind of repudiated but the idea of developing a model where we have national yeah. standards and yeah. curricula is not a part of our culture and insofar as the state of Texas can, can dominate the selection of textbooks and um, for a, about a third of a country because of its buying power uh, and local boards determine what texts go in we have the, the, the materials available for our teachers um, are not comprehensive and unbiased, yeah. or don't present multiple points of view. Yeah. They champion uh, ideas which are, which really, in my view, don't fit into the sphere of, of um, uh, science-based, data-based, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. um, modern education. So we have, we really have problems. I mean, um, one of the good things about the Trump election is that he's galvanized women. And you know we see even in even in conservative Republican groups that uh, you know more women are are uh, stepping forward as candidates, um, and uh, and I think also committed to a different kind of discourse. Yeah, I think no, this no is, matter what their political point. Yeah, of view. I think this is one of the very important uh, things that emerged from this, and I think the other thing is probably 
like um, we talked before, is that he evoke, uh, perhaps uh, provoke, involvement of other, other than women, but younger generation, to say we are not going to sit and take it anymore. We don't want to do that. And I think, I think we, surely this will have to manifest itself in this midterm election comes November. And if we see that, in fact, they came out to vote and um, succeeded in, in changing the dynamics of the election and the results, then I think probably in, uh, Trump has inadvertently produced something that we did not have before. Uh, and that would be the best thing that, <laughs> that could come out of uh, a lunatic like Trump. I'm not sure this is germane to this conversation, but I don't know if you happened to watch uh, PBS News yesterday. Um, but th there, was a uh, there was a report on the fact that President Trump welcomed uh, a group of African-American religious leaders to the White House. Um, uh, and then uh, one, of the, one of the pastors who had been involved, who has a large congregation, was invited to be interviewed uh, on PBS. And it was a very interesting uh, conversation. Um, he uh, spoke about how much President Trump has done for the African-American community based on the very low uh, unemployment rates among African-Americans, really a, a national low. He didn't comment on the, on the nature of, the, of employment or the, the, the salaries, but the fact that that is very good. Um, and that he believes that the president is more deeply committed to, that, to improving the economic well-being of African-Americans than anyone before. He was then asked by the um, journalist how he felt about the um, policies that, are, that have been put in place or are being put in place by uh, Jeff Sessions, by Ben Carson, by Bessie DeVos. Yeah. Um, and he said, well, I don't believe that they reflect the president's views. I, I don't agree with, with those things at all. I don't agree at all with, with the, 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 uh, the position of Sessions on uh, incarceration and so forth uh, uh, and so forth. But I, 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 I'm convinced the president really cares for our well-being and he's doing a good job. And the interviewer, who's an African-American, uh, was very polite, but she was asking, you know, probative questions. And he put, no, no, I, we believe the president. Well, I, and of course, yeah. you know, the group was selected yeah. to, to come to the White House. Yeah. But I, I think it's important to, to, to realize that the pocketbook issues... Matters. You're, you're absolutely right, except that what this uh, priest was perhaps doesn't know, doesn't understand... It wasn't a priest, Trump, it was a pastor. <laughs> uh, a pastor, whatever. What, what happened is that Trump, uh, I had, many, many years ago, I had a, uh, several meetings with Trump going back maybe 30 years. So it's not like I know him, I can't, am I going to say that? Uh, on a one-to-one -one basis, or with a small group, he could be extremely charming, uh, open, willing, and all of that, and they leave. And he is now a completely different person. And he mislead. Many times these people are misled to believe mm -hmm. that he is otherwise. He's a wonderful person. He's really caring. You know. Yes, if they're seeing some result as, a, as a, you know, the black community actually is benefiting, this is a great. But to suggest that he does not necessarily follow what Jeff Session or Bessie Duval is doing or Ben Carson is doing, I don't think that has any serious foundation. 
I don't think it's yeah. good as well. But this is part of the issue. You know, it yeah. is the, the economy. It's, it's the economy, stupid. Exactly. You know, yeah. it's the economy yeah. that matters. Yeah. And if people, do, I mean, the the October, the November elections aside, when the next presidential election comes around and the assumption that Trump is running again, if uh, the stupid tariffs don't uh, undermine the buying power of the working and the middle class, uh, and people feel they have more money in their paycheck and there seem to be more jobs, uh, and we're not in a war with Korea or Iran, uh, their sense of, well, I don't like the man, he's coarse, I wish he didn't say this, I wish he weren't so vulgar or whatever, but I'm better off. No, yeah, this is very important. I mean, economy is, after all, is the determining factor when it comes to the, you know, the relationship between the public to the to the administration. And that's what they look at. It's a pocket. What what am I gaining? What am I losing? Um, but you know, one of the the issues that I worry a great deal about, and we you raised it, you know, before about the high number of people who live in poverty in this country. Uh, and the homeless and the like. It, it, it is the unfortunate ability, because of the way we live, the way our city, our lives are structured, uh, the nature of suburban society and the like. People, um, unlike New York, where the subways brings us into contact with the world and we see the reality of life for people of all kinds, it's possible not to notice the misery of others. And, um, uh, Part it's, of our, ignored. It's, it's ignored. It's, I, think, it's, I think they see it, but it's ignored. Okay. Yeah. Uh, but one of the things that, that worries me now is a, a language that's coming back to blame the poor for being poor. Yeah. Um, uh, to talk about, uh, to denigrate the idea of being on welfare, uh, to, to, to impose, it was overturned actually, in, uh, where was it, in Kansas, but to impose uh, work requirements for people receiving certain... Now, obviously, we, we, work is ennobling, and people should work if they can. But many people who are struggling have uh, health issues, mental health issues. Uh, they have caregiver responsibilities, which they cannot replace. Uh, and uh, this, this notion of vilifying the victim, which is, which is too much of a political discourse, I think is another problem for us. Uh, and, and Trump is not helping in that no. regard. He's, he's pushing this. So on a positive note... <laughs> Can we finish on a positive note? Sure. <laughs> well, with all the rain in the Northeast, we're not going to have forest fires. <laughs> I mean, we could talk about climate change. Sure. <laughs> and on, sure, and, you know, India and, and, and Pakistan and Bangladesh <laughs> will be uninhabitable as the temperature reaches over 124 degrees. It is degrees. so unfortunate. I wish this conversation were, <laughs> we were talking about the glorious thing that America is doing. <laughs> Uh, but hopefully, yeah. next we, time. We can't talk about the Mets. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much. Thank you. I think it was wonderful. I'm not sure, but thank you. Are you kidding? I, 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 yeah, <laughs> yeah, you tell me. Oh, I don't know what I'm going to talk about. Well, I don't know if any of it makes any sense. It's it makes a lot, a lot of sense. A lot of sense. Thank you for listening to this episode on the issues. You can find this podcast on my SoundCloud page. And stay tuned to my social media accounts for the latest analysis and announcements.